You have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. For the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And so you can study up on that and see if what I say is the truth about that verse. God has blessed us with many wonderful blessings. We live on a planet that He created and placed in this universe that's able to sustain life. And what a blessing it is when we behold all the beautiful things that God has given us. We also have the physical blessings that He's given us. We have food and raiment and all the things that we have that helps us to sustain life here on this earth. He's also blessed us with spiritual blessings if we're in the body of Christ. That is, if we've been baptized into Christ, we have those spiritual blessings <clears throat> that are found in Him. The greatest gift that God has ever given to us is the gift of Jesus Christ who came to this world and died on a cross for you and me. The Bible tells us that it was done because God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. And we're so thankful for that sacrifice. And so tonight we want to talk about for by grace, for by grace ye are saved. And we want to see some of the things that are involved in that word grace. Because there's so many people in the world that believe, in the religious world, that teach that we're saved by grace alone, or that we're saved by faith alone. And that is not what the Bible teaches us, that we, t we need the grace of God. We also need faith, but we also need obedience to go along with that because that is really what true faith is. Faith is knowing what the Bible teaches and putting it into action because we trust it. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it tells us there that by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for every man. And it would be impossible for me or anyone else to fully describe God's mercy and God's grace and all that He has done. The grace is the love and goodness of God all combined in the person of our Savior. So when we look at what Jesus did, what he, how He lived, what He taught, we can see in Him the love and goodness of God. There is nothing that is more important to humanity than God's grace. For it was opened many doors for us so that you and I could have salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read some of the verses that are very familiar to all of us. And it's very popular in the religious world to try to make their claim about we're just saved by grace or faith. But listen to what it says beginning in verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. Even when we were dead in, our, in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not of yourself, it is a gift of God." not of works, works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. As I said, God's grace opens many doors for us, many blessings that we can have through Christ. 
And when we look in the Bible, we can see that grace is the unmerited favor that God extends toward man. And God's grace is a mix of His kindness, His love, and His pity on all of mankind. We need to understand that grace and mercy are not the same thing. I've seen it described this way, and I've always liked the way it was described. It says, mercy is what keeps sinful man from getting what he deserves. And basically, you can look at it as you're driving down the road and you get pulled over by a police officer because he's caught you speeding. At that time, you want mercy. Because you know you deserve a ticket and you want him to be merciful and not extend it. And so when we look at God, we realize that we sinned and we deserve death. We deserve spiritual death. We deserve to be separated from Him. But because of His mercy, He extends something that we don't deserve. So we're not getting what we deserve in mercy or when it comes to death. And that's really what mercy is. Grace is sinful man getting what he does not deserve. And that is salvation. You see, we don't deserve salvation. And let me just say that again because I want us to understand it. Mercy is what keeps sinful man from getting what they deserve, which is death, spiritual death. Grace is sinful man getting what he does not deserve, and that is salvation. God has opened the door so that we can have salvation. Because of His mercy, but He's given us that salvation or extended that salvation because of His grace. You see, the kindness of God that provides sinners with the means of finding full pardon and relief from sin is described to us by Paul in those verses that we just read in Ephesians. Paul also tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you might want to go back over there. But in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, he says, "...for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men." teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not a clearer statement that can be found, and how much plainer could it be made? When we talk about the amazing grace of God, we see the love that He has extended and offered to all of mankind in a way that allows us to escape the bondage of sin. And how great is the grace of God when it provides a way out so that you, can, you and I can have that salvation. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquities and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works." What did He give? He gave Himself. He didn't give some object... He didn't offer some big, huge price that we could pay. He didn't give some gift for us. He gave Himself. He offered His own life while He was here on this earth. He offered His life for you and I on the cross. And He didn't ask us or ask someone to give something for Him. He asked us to give ourselves back in service to Him. And so His blood was shed to purchase for Himself a peculiar people, as the Scripture says. A chosen people. A special people. But make up the one true church that Jesus said that He would establish when He said that He would build His church. 
And we know from Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that purchased that church that Jesus died on a cross for. Do you understand or do you know what is so amazing about God's grace? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us. There it tells us that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you think about what God does or has done for us, that's really amazing. That while we were alienated from God, while we were in a sinful condition, God sent His Son to die on a cross for you and me. And that covers everyone. Those that don't believe in God, those that talk down about God, those that say things that are awful about God, Jesus came and died for them. Those who don't even believe He exists, Jesus died for them. You see, we might do something special for someone that we care about. You know, we may offer our life or put our life in jeopardy to save a friend who has a, that is in trouble. Or we may jeopardize our life to save a family member that's close. But how many of us would jeopardize our life, put it in jeopardy to save someone that doesn't like us, that doesn't care for us, that may even hate us? That's exactly what Jesus did. He died, and that's what's so amazing and what's so incredible about what He's done. And we should appreciate what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 where it tells us, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Now listen to what it says. That He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. There's that word again, grace. Again, that grace, what's involved with that grace? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross for every man. So keep that in mind. Because, you see, we sing songs about the grace of God, the wonderful story of love, and all the things that God has done for us. We have songs that remind us of that. We have passages of the Scriptures that remind us of all the things that God has done. And God's grace is extended to all people of all nations, no matter where they are or what condition they may find their soul, that grace is extended to them. Peter tells us in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, it says there, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so Peter is saying that this gospel, this grace, is extended to all people. It doesn't matter what nation, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, young, old. This gospel, this message, this truth, this grace is extended to all of us. For by grace, as we are the scripture that we're examining, for by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It gives us comfort and hope that no matter who we are, no matter what we have done, or whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, God's grace can save us. Well, I've run into people who thought that they were beyond being saved because of the sinful condition of their lives, the things that they've done in the past. They thought that God would never be able to forgive them. 
God's grace can cover us all. doesn't matter how good, how bad. God's grace is there for everyone. Grace is absolutely essential to salvation. Man by himself cannot save anyone. <clears throat> no, no man by his own power, by his own initiative, can achieve salvation. Salvation comes from God and it is a gift to man. The offer of salvation is through God's grace. And it is, it is the only way that anyone can save themselves. And that is to accept the grace that God has extended on His conditions. That is why on the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, save yourselves from this untoward generation. How were they supposed to save themselves? How do we save ourselves? It's by God's grace, of course, that we save ourselves. How does one save ourselves? How do we save ourselves by grace? Is it something that happens automatically? Or is there something that man must do in order to be saved by grace? Let's look a little bit further into what we're talking about. On the day of Pentecost, when they heard the Gospel presented, they were convicted in their hearts and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? <clears throat> and on that occasion, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter responded to their question, what shall we do, when he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. In order to be saved by grace, to benefit from the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, to enjoy the condition of salvation, these people were told to repent and to be baptized. Who were these individuals? They were a group of people that had heard Peter preach. They had heard that message. They were convicted by, that Jesus Christ was the only Messiah, that He was the true Messiah, that He was the Son of God, and that He was ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. And it was through Him and only through Him that they could have the remission of sin, that it was only through Christ that remission of sin was available. And so as penitent believers... They were baptized, that is, immersed in water, for the remission of sin. And yes, they were saved by grace. The people to whom Paul spoke or wrote this letter, uh, the Ephesian letter, are addressed, or we can read about them in Acts chapter 19, and you might want to flip over there. Because we know that it was them that he talked to, and uh, it was his own... Uh, command that they be baptized, that they needed to be immersed for the remission of sin. But he's telling them that he was, they were saved by grace. In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But listen to what it says over in Acts, or Acts chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. Now Ephesus is where the Ephesian letter was written to, those individuals that were there. 
And in verse 2 it goes on to say, And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you were baptized? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. One of the things that we learn here is that they were baptized. These people who were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus were saved by God's grace. That grace that had been extended to them. And baptism did not nullify grace. Just because they did something did not nullify the grace that God had extended. But grace would not have, would not have saved them. Think about this. Grace would not have saved them if they were disobedient to the Lord. You see, one cannot be saved by grace and disregard what God's Word says. So when they were told that they needed to be baptized in the name of Christ, they either were going to do that or they were going to disobey what they were told or instructed. And therefore, they would be rejecting the grace that God was extending to them so that they could have salvation. We cannot reject God's Word or God's will and be saved. And that is pointed out in Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. Listen to what it says, "...but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him." Another version of, the, of that verse says, "...but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him." So what was it, what's it saying here? They were rejecting God. Now, could we be saved by the grace of God if we reject God's will? I don't think so. And I think that we see here that, one, that the one baptism that saves is part of God's teaching grace. In Acts chapter 19, those individuals were baptized with John's baptism, but that wasn't the proper baptism at that time. They had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's that baptism by the authority of Jesus that we preach and teach and practice today. You see, baptism for the remission of sin is done by God's grace. It is part of the avenue of obedience made available to men by God's marvelous plan that He has extended to us. God's commands come through and by God's grace. The Word of God, the Scripture that we have, are by God's grace. The instructions that tells us what we need to do in order to be saved are God's grace. The instructions that gives us or tells us how to live a daily our daily life so that we can remain in a saved condition is the grace of God. God's commands come through and by His grace. And without God's grace, none of us would even know about salvation. We wouldn't know that it was possible to save ourselves. We wouldn't know that it was possible to do anything that would save or change our condition when we're in sin. 
But because of His grace, we learn what to do in order to please God. The very knowledge of what the word grace means comes through the revealed truth. God's Word reveals His grace. God's Word reveals to us what the grace of God means. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth is what sets us free. And since God was gracious enough to provide salvation, and Jesus was gracious, gracious enough to give Himself on the cross, and since God's grace teaches us what we need to do in order to be saved, shouldn't we be gracious enough to do exactly what He commands us to do? His grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And that's salvation. Should we expect grace to save us when we do any less than those that God saved in the first century? I think not. Colossians chapter 1. Beginning of verse 5. It says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Where's the grace of God revealed? In truth. Where do we find the truth? The Bible tells us. John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, what did it say? That by grace ye are saved. Those two can't be separated. You can't separate baptism from grace and be acceptable to God. So we sing about grace. We preach about it. We live it, and we need to tell people about what God has done for them. Before we tell them what they even need to do, they need to understand that this grace is available and why they need to accept it. That Jesus came to this earth because God had a plan. We talked a little bit about that this morning. That from the foundations of the world, He had this plan, and that's why the angels rejoiced when His birth was announced in Luke chapter 2. Because they realized what was going to be the outcome of all the things that Jesus would endure while He was here on this earth. And so we need to tell people about what God has done for them before we tell them what they need to do in order to accept it. You see, man cannot save himself by himself. Man cannot know enough. Man cannot do enough. Man cannot live long enough to merit salvation. We have to do what God tells us in His Word, just like those on Pentecost, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, just like the Philippian jailer, just like all the conversions that we read about in the New Testament. We have to be baptized into Christ. 
you have your Bibles, turn over to Titus. Before, before I close out, I want us to look at these verses. and Hopefully you can see how baptism and grace go hand in hand. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says this, not by righteous or not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. Somehow, grace has evolved into something that is dispensed unconditionally. There are many in the religious world that do not believe there's anything that we need to do in order to obtain salvation. That it's all in God's hands. Many contend that grace and water baptism are mutually exclusive. So that baptism could never be a part of the plan of redemption without negating grace. But I believe that Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 here stand squarely in the face of that thought. Paul just affirms that according to his mercy, he saved us. Talking about God through the washing of regeneration. We're washed in the blood. How are we washing that blood? when we come in contact with that blood, and that is described in Romans chapter 6, that we go down in that watery grave of baptism, and we come up out of that water a new creature. And so we're washed in His blood. And it's through baptism that we come in contact with that blood. There's no magical potion in the baptistry or any river or lake that you may be baptized in. What matters is our obedience. Trusting God. Trusting that grace that He's extended to us. And having said that, He continues by affirming that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so it's obvious that being justified by His grace includes the washing of regeneration to which he had just referred earlier in those verses. Saved by washing of regeneration in verse 5, and saved by grace, his grace, in verse 7. That's what Paul is telling us that God's grace is our obedience to God's plan, God's will. Back over in Ephesians chapter 2. Get back over there, my marker found out or fell out. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what it says. Again, he's talking to those that were addressed in Acts chapter 19. 
In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, And you hath he quickened, and who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's made them alive who were dead. And then in verse 6 it says, And hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The question is, when we are raised up with Him, what's He talking about? How do we sit in those heavenly places? We're raised up with Him. When are we raised up with Him? Through the act of baptism. The answer is found in Romans chapter 6, verses 3-4. through 4, When we are immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection, the death of Christ, we were subsequently raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Grace and baptism are not Opponents, they are components of our being permitted to return to God. So that's God's grace. And it's good that we can understand that baptism and all the other commands that He gives us are a part of that plan. And so when people say that we're saved by grace and there's nothing that we can do, there certainly is nothing that we can do all on our own, but there is something that we can do, and that is we can do what God tells us to do in order to be saved. And many people, unfortunately, reject the commands of baptism when it's plainly taught in the Scripture and we see it exercised in the Scripture, practiced in the Scripture, and it's something that we need to understand that that is a part of God's grace. Grace and baptism go together. And therefore, we are saved by grace at the point of baptism. And without God's grace, none of us would ever even know what salvation was. But with it, we learn what we need to do in order to obtain it and to please our Heavenly Father. And so tonight, the question is, are you ready to stand before God and give an account of your life? <clears throat> because we need to accept that grace that God has extended. He sent His Son to die on the cross. Why? Because He loved us and He cared for us. And He tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. And Jesus makes it very plain. This is the Son of God speaking in Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16. This is that man. This is the Son of God who died on the cross who said, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's Jesus talking. Don't you think Jesus would know what we need to do in order to accept the grace of God? We need to believe. And tonight, if you're here and you have that faith, you're willing to repent of your sins and turn away from that and make that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be buried with our Lord in baptism, you can do that. You can accept that grace and become a child of God, a peculiar people, a precious people in the sight of God. Hopefully that helps us to understand that that phrase. Next time we'll look at a little more of that verse in us in Ephesians chapter two and verse eight. But hopefully we understand it better. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.